Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number six of the University of Geology podcast. Yes, it's been a while. I think the last episode we released was back in January, so it's been a few months. Uh, obviously, this uh, semester has been quite busy. Uh, the main thing with the semester is I graduated, so I think that was last week. That was on May 11th, so I'm completely done at the University of Louisiana. So pretty much this whole semester has just been working and finishing uh, my thesis and getting that submitted and edited and all that good stuff. So that's completely done. And so that's really been the main reason for not really uh, podcasting. This takes quite a bit of time to do, but hopefully in the future we'll be able to do more of these things uh, a little bit more often. I guess the real uh, only major uh, news other than submitting my thesis and having that approved is I got into a PhD program. So I think the last episode I was talking to John a little bit about the application process, that kind of stuff, Uh, but it is official. I will be starting at UCLA uh, officially in September, though uh, Genevieve and I are going to be moving up there in July. She found the job uh, way more quickly than I found a PhD program. She found a job in two days, so it's quite easy for her. I actually gave her a lot of shit about it because it was so easy. It seemed like she just uh, made a few phone calls and then she was immediately offered a job. So it was a little disheartening uh, with me going through basically a year-long process of trying to find a PhD advisor, all that kind of stuff that went into that. And then she basically picks up a call after I got in and then uh, pretty much was given a job. So uh, good for her. (laughs) So I'm incredibly jealous. Nonetheless, I am incredibly excited to be at UCLA. Uh, it's gonna the research is gonna be quite different than what I've done for my masters. For my masters, I mainly just focused on rivers, specifically intermittent rivers. And for my PhD, it's gonna be focused on planetary sciences. And so I'll be working with uh, Mackenzie Day, who is just starting at UCLA uh, over the summer as well. She will be my advisor, and I encourage you to check out her website and all her great work. She is a planetary geomorphologist who focus on, focuses primarily on the behavior of terrestrial and extraterrestrial dunes. Uh, so quite a bit of stuff for Mars. I know there are some really cool projects that she's let me know about uh, that I'll be able to work on. So all of that is incredibly exciting and I will have way more details about that in the future. And I'm sure she is going to come on the podcast and discuss a lot of her work and a lot of the work that we are gonna be doing in the lab. And then hopefully I'll be able to speak with some of the other members of the lab in the coming months. But that's not why we're here today. We're here today for episode number six. In this episode, I sit down with Dr. Katie Costigan. She is my former advisor at the University of Louisiana at Lafayette. Uh, she was an absolutely incredible advisor. She, uh, she's really the, the main reason uh, of me getting into uh, a PhD program. Uh, She's a fantastic help in this episode. She has a lot of great advice for getting into contact with potential advisors and her outlook on evaluating students and much, much more. So we talk about those kind of general relationships and then we also, uh, towards the end, focus on her work and what she is interested in, what other members of her, her research group are interested in. And then we talk a little bit about her garden towards the end. So thank you again for listening, downloading. I do apologize for the long layoff, but hopefully this hour and 15 minute episode will make up for it. Uh, As always, thank you again and have a great summer. And I hope to have a lot more updates and some really cool guests here in the future. Take care. 
I hate talking about it. I hate to my family. After, yeah. Yeah, I'll get like a, I, I think I got like a text from my mom a couple months ago, like when I first found out I got into UCLA. Mm-hmm. She's like, what do you do? <laughs> this is perfect. This is great. I love this. Mr. World, how was this wonderful orderly earth of ours formed in the first place? And how long has it been going on? question because some people think it's when you submit the thesis that you're done so a month, month ago yeah or I don't, that's not like official but that was like official right answer. yeah i don't know and then some people like to call themselves doctor right after they defend their phd which they still have all the edits yeah. to do so it's i'm not, not sure it's not official yeah <laughs> are you going to graduation i have to me too I was forced as well. Faculty have to go to two a year here. Yeah. Yeah. That's brutal. They're so boring. It's always for the family. Yeah. I was at least trying to get out of the first part of it because I don't know how, if you're required to go to both the morning and the afternoon thing, the general assembly, whatever. Uh, We get to choose which one we go to. Yeah. Not me. Not the students. We have no choice. Yeah. If you don't want the little placard thing. But they send it in, but, I mean, you have family and stuff coming in, so it's always for the family. It's not for the student. Yeah. No, nothing's for her. I imagine it because I I found out she got me a gift Um, for graduation, and I was like, why? I already got into, like, a school. Like, I'm sure what you got me is nice. Right. (laughs) However, nothing is going to beat that that gift. Right. To myself. (laughs) (laughs) It's a thought that counts. (laughs) All right, we're here with my advisor slash former advisor, Dr. Katie Costigan. How are you? Good, how are you? I'm good. I'm relaxing. Good. You texted me because I was late. Well, you told me an hour ago you'd be here. Yes, well, I don't have anything going on, so I overslept. Oh, I see. So that's kind of the deal. That's okay. Yeah. That happens. I woke up and I was like, oh no. Because I originally set my alarm for eight and then I guess I snoozed. And I woke up at 9.50. I was like, oh, the dogs. I was going to take them on a walk and stuff like that. It's not a big deal. I'm here now. <clears throat> so I guess we'll see how long this runs. Hopefully it doesn't keep you here long enough. But we'll start off with more uh, general finding advisor, that kind of stuff, and then move on to your personal research from there. And so I guess uh, to get it going, I'll talk about, I guess, how I came in contact with you, which is, I mean, it was kind of luck, I guess. I didn't have much of a plan unfortunately going into a master's so I came up here and I was talking to a lot of different professors and kind of telling them my interests and then they pretty much directed me to you oh okay yeah um it's pretty horrible that's not the way you're supposed to do it because I mean I ended up just completely lucking out well part of it is that your wife was here and you guys wanted to stay here so it's a little bit different than if you're more mobile Mm -hmm. yeah I mean, it was 
it's like for PhD, I specifically was seeking people out right. and like feeling kind of the whole situation out. But I mean, for the master, it was just kind of. Right. So I think to even back up, you have to decide yeah. why you want to get a master's or a PhD. They're not like commitments that you should go into, especially a PhD. Mm-hmm. That's a four to six year time commitment. And it's, I forget the latest statistics, but it's like a third of people who start a PhD program finish a PhD program. Mm. So you have to make sure that you're going in it for the right reasons. Yeah. One person told me she wanted to get a PhD so people would call her doctor. And I said, oh, that's not, that is not a good reason to (laughs) do this. She's going to be in that percentage. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. So with the... We should also preface that this is, the advice I have is for earth sciences and ecology type fields, because it's very different if you go into a cell biology program where they do rotations in labs and you go to a university and work in a lab and then go to a different lab and pick which one suits your interests. But with the earth sciences... Hopefully through your undergrad you get some research experience mm-hmm. or you have a general idea for what you're interested in. And how I did it was I had a I did undergrad research and there were some master students and I talked to them about grad programs mm-hmm. and they led me to a couple of different programs and I looked at the advisors there and I just started emailing them. And some people care a lot about pedigree. So the universities that you've gone to, which does matter, but I think, and personally I think that the person you work with and what you do with your time matters more than the pedigree, but pedigree does matter. And they could also look at the, like, who you're studying, under, right. like, what schools they went to. Right. Like, hope maybe that would have some influence. Of course. Something like but that. But people love seeing Duke, yes. you know, and those yeah. type of schools on there. What so about UCLA, maybe. <laughs> That's good. They they have a very good geography program. I know. I know you're in a different program. Yeah. It's an excellent program. Yeah. A lot of hydrologists I know from the USDA did their PhDs there. Mm-hmm. So. Okay, it's good to know. The future is bright. <laughs> no matter what you do, though. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, Courtney actually emailed me yesterday in your research group. Okay. And she was like, "Hey, I forgot to talk to you about PhD stuff." Because yeah. I guess she's she's considering it. Right. So I sent her a long email. I was like, Good. put together a spreadsheet. That's what I did right. of all schools, potential advisors who you want to work with, and just start making a master list like right. way far in advance so you know. And then kind of over the summer, like towards the end, start emailing them, asking right. if they have any uh, funding or any uh, positions available, that kind of stuff. But I mean, like the earlier you get started, like actually planning where you want to go, like, specifically what you want to study, because mm-hmm. that's a huge thing, because I'm not studying really the same thing that I did for my master's. So right. it was like, not a big transition, but it was a whole other field that I had to become acquainted with, like the people working on that field, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Yeah, it's not, so it's not like you're going from speech pathology to <laughs> this, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. My master's was doing hill slope hydrology where I did rainfall simulations. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit different from my PhD. But I guess we should talk about, I guess there are three general ways that you can get funding for graduate work. So there's a graduate research assistant, graduate teaching assistant, and then some programs have a graduate assistant. And I know that here at UL, the Office of Sustainability has a graduate assistant. 
and they help with a certain task in an office. But those are not common, and you don't usually get those for their sciences. So you're right. You should, if you're thinking about going for a program, you should start planning early. Yes. And start emailing faculty the fall before you want to start attending, or the fall before you graduate. Yeah. And email the people, see if there's any openings in their lab, but you should also tell them why you're interested in their lab, and I would start with that. Mm-hmm. You Sometimes if the students sign up for a listserv, like the Geomorph listserv, you'll see often that there's opportunities on there, and so they're actively looking for students to work on a specific project. If the faculty doesn't reply to your email, you can try again. If they don't apply, it's a pretty good foreshadow for how they'll treat you, unfortunately. That's how I weeded people out. Right. I told her the same thing. Like, most people aren't just going to respond to you. That's just kind of the numbers game, I guess. Just send out a bunch of them and see what hits and what's not. Yeah, if you get a form response, it's also not some place that you should put high on your list or put all your eggs in that basket. Mm Mm-hmm. So I emailed, when I was doing my master's, a couple of different programs, and the well-funded programs will fly you out for a weekend or a couple of days to see if you're a good fit for the program, because you're also a big investment for them, but also if it's a good fit for you. And ideally, you'll meet with a couple of different faculty, talk about the program, talk about the person you've identified to work with, and after that, you'll get a really good sense of what it's like there, mm-hmm. and you can make a more well-informed decision. When I visited for my master's, it was an s- invaluable experience going and oh, yeah. talking to people. Because, you know, you can talk on the phone with these people and get over emails, but until you meet them in person, you can't pick up on the nuances, and if they have quirks and yeah. stuff, you can't pick up on that stuff. Well, I mean, even like the livability of the city, right. um, the surrounding areas, what kind yeah. of environment it is, if it's something you're used to or not, and stuff like that yeah. can also uh, help. And if you go and visit the programs, talk to the grad students. They have a lot of insight, and you have to take some of it with a grain of salt, but if you hear the same threads all the time and their warning signs, pick up on that. Yeah, yeah. there was, I visited somewhere, and the students, it wasn't the advisor that I was going to be working with, it was another professor, and it wasn't anything bad, it was just like, she's, she's very direct, this and that, and mm. so it was just funny hearing that, and then meeting her, I was like, oh, okay, I see this. More direct than me. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> she was super intense, it was it was intimidating. We went, oh. and uh, the other person I was with, we like did this dual meeting with her mm-hmm. and sat down in front of her desk she was sitting behind and oh, then she had cool. a whiteboard and was like drawing out uh, like equations and stuff and was asking it was a uh, basically a quiz okay it was way weird and it completely threw me off yeah i don't usually like that approach yeah it was very scary <laughs> it was the scariest thing the whole weekend <laughs> it's like an instant evaluation yeah i don't like that yeah I like it to be more informal. I mean, the whole, if you go and visit, it's an interview, so you have to be very formal and understand that people are evaluating you the entire Mm -hmm. time. You can also pick up an idea for how formal the department is based off of how people dress Mm -hmm. and whether or not that's a good fit for you. Not a good fit for me. No, it doesn't sound good. I keep it very informal. (laughs) Khakis at best. 
So when I was looking for PhD programs, I knew who I wanted to work with, and I only applied there. And this isn't very good advice, but I decided pretty late that I wanted to get a PhD and apply it after the deadline, but it worked out. <laughs> yeah, there's absolutely no way. So until seven applications a month before the deadline, I was still, still nervous. Yeah. I Well, I knew she would accept yeah, me, yeah. is the thing. And well, that's the whole establishing the relationship, right. meeting them prior, all that kind of stuff. Did you talk to her at a, a conference or anything like that, or was this just, like, email conversations? or? So she was actually my undergrad advisor oh, nice. that I did research with, okay. and she moved to a different institution. Awesome. Okay. So I knew her. For, I worked for her for three years, and I had emailed her sporadically throughout my master's, and... I missed rivers hmm. doing the rainfall simulations, so that's why I went back to working with her. Nice. And they had a good program, and the lead editor for geomorphology was there, so mm -hmm. it was a pretty good fit for me. Yeah. I mean, I guess the whole point of this, I guess, is like the, early, the earlier you can determine uh, what you want to do, the mm -hmm. better. Right. And like, I mean, that's probably why I struggled a lot during undergrads, because I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't know geology was a viable field right. because throughout grade school you're just it's, you're not it's exposed non to it. No, yeah. there's none of that. Then you go to undergrad and go through a year and a half and then you find this field and you're like, oh, I'm good at it and I really enjoy it and then right. you kind of pick it up from there. But it would have been, it would have been nice if I knew going into undergrad that it was an option. Yeah, I don't think anybody does. I th and I... You know, I always worry about the students who start undergrad and they're like, I'm going to be a professor at so-and-so university. Yeah. I started in nursing. I kind of floundered a bit looking for programs that, or looking for degrees that I wanted. Hmm. So you don't have to decide r right away. But Saves a little money, I'm sure. I still graduated in four yeah. years, but... Not me. It's okay. <laughs> Well, look at me now, recording a podcast. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I guess the other thing is meeting people at conferences. That's kind of a route that I did just because you can get face-to-face uh, -face right. with them. makes it more personal. And I would assume if they're looking at applications and see your name, there's a little bit more of a connection rather oh, than just a sure. bunch of words on a paper and they can just toss it aside. Yeah. Going and talking to a mentor that you want to work with is invaluable. So what I would do is, if they have a talk or a poster, look at the time that it's at and go and mm. go to them. And if it's a poster, go up and chat with them. It's a little bit harder at a talk at some place like AGU because sometimes they have like a gaggle of people that swarm up to them afterwards. Yeah, especially and, the bigger right. professors. Yeah. And you don't necessarily want to elbow your way through to introduce yourself mm -hmm. to them. But you can always just holler at them beforehand and ask them if they're willing to get coffee with you. Yeah, that helps. Yeah, it does. And sometimes there's booths at conferences, and they have representatives from the university or the department, and you can go talk to them, and they might have tips for you. So you should for sure talk to somebody about where you want to go, or to go talk to the mentor directly or go talk to people who can lead you to them mm. because I'm on the grad committee here for geology and environmental resource science and what we do is we get tens, twenties of applicants for geology 
we don't have that many TA lines or RA lines. And RA lines are already, the faculty mentor decides that way ahead. But for TAs, you know, going and actually identifying an advisor and that advisor sticking up for you and saying, I want this student to work with me. That's how that usually works. Okay. It's much harder if you apply to all these programs and they're looking at your GPA, your GRE, your university that you went to to come up to the top and get these really competitive programs and students are emailing faculty that are sticking up for them. Yeah. Seems to be the way to go. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense for the, the professors who are funding this stuff. Right. But we don't want to already have a connection with them. Right. And then remember it's an investment. It's hundred thousand yeah. dollars sometimes and that's a big investment from a department to put into somebody who hasn't even talked to us. Um, yeah, so I guess we can move into what committees look for, uh, what pieces of information are more valuable, if any, than mm-hmm. the others. Um, I'm sure a lot of students out there were like, or think GRE, like they're just going to weed me out, that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of information on the internet. Yeah, personally, I would rather a student who has undergrad research is totally jazzed and pumped about doing field work and research than somebody who's book smart because they the book smart students sometimes have a hard time transitioning to field work and my students need to be able and willing and able to do field work is this you or is this kind of the committee at UL transitioning as a whole this is me yeah but I think it's starting to transition Mm -hmm. I've noticed some universities are getting rid of the GRE requirements which is nice yeah I don't think they tell much. Personally. I don't either. But. And there's lots of research that shows GRE and GPA are not good predictors of success in graduate school. And it's weird, uh, is like staying on the GPA front, like evaluating people's GPA in a master's or a PhD whenever those degrees aren't GPA oriented, like that you're not going for coursework for those degrees. Right. Like it's all research based. And yet that's one of the first criteria that uh, they evaluate you on. Right. It's, it's really hard though. You know, we get these applicants, and we don't know. It's Sometimes we don't even talk to the people, and so it's hard to evaluate them. And so there's something that we have to look at. Yes. So I think the GREs matter more to me than GPA, especially the quantitative stuff. Yeah. Although you need to be a good writer in the sciences. Yeah, I mean, most of the applications I turn in were looking, uh, like, wanting to provide a writing sample or mm-hmm. something like that, so yeah. there's ways around it, but, I mean, yeah, as long as people keep paying for the GRE. And yeah, but programs are getting rid of them, so hopefully that's a... Yeah, I guess, like, as the committees transition, like, more younger, mm-hmm. getting... So are you asking me about the grad committee looking at students or like a thesis committee and PhD committee? Um, I guess the grad committee. Okay. People coming in, so people submit their applications. Mm-hmm. They're sitting there for however long. The committee all sits down to review these, like kind of what are the steps that kind okay. of happen. So you have to make sure you have all your materials in because <laughs> that is an easy way to get rid of people. Yeah. Seriously. Any excuse. And then, so how it works here is that we, for geology, we have 
somebody that does the incoming and first year masters and somebody who does the second year and outgoing masters. And so how it works is that there's a committee of four of us and the grad director who does the incoming students fields lots of emails and he emails all of us and asks us if there's a student we want to work with to let him know. Mm-hmm. And he makes a spreadsheet that's just these numbers and he lets the grad committee look at the letters, the statements that the students submit. And the four of us meet and we talk about the students and we try to balance things like who they want to work with. And here the committee has traditionally been early career faculty and we preferentially give TA lines to the early career faculty. But if there's a senior faculty who wants students, we would of course give them a student as well. And we balance gender ethnicity, things like that. Mm-hmm. So you go in, you have your uh, your students, whatever, I guess, picked out. So I would imagine like you, you get emails from students quite a bit. Yeah. Some of them are better than others. Yeah, that's kind of what I want to talk about because that's what I suggested to Courtney as well is not make a long email, but a very direct right. email, just a couple sentences or so. Telling about yourself, your work, attach your CV, make sure that it's completely updated and correctly formatted, that kind of stuff. And then you can kind of interchange the names, the schools, right? and then kind of send it out. Make sure you always put the right name in the university name. Not Miss Costigan? Yeah, and I I sent one to you where they called me Dr. Becker, and it's like, that's not my last name. (laughs) Like... (laughs) And don't call me Miss Katie. That's not appropriate either. Mm-hmm. It's always better to go formal with these type of things. So yeah. always address them as doctor last name. Yeah. That's been a weird thing because, I mean, people, I mean, other people in the the research group and stuff here call you Katie or something yeah. like that. And, like, I can't do that. And even my new advisor, my uh-huh. advisor for PhD, I just, in every email, it's just doctor whatever. Or you just and start then, typing sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, sure. <laughs> Most of the time, yeah. That's if I just don't want to text. I was like, oh, an email text is fine. Yeah. But like even then, like I'll just say doctor whatever, and then every email, she's like, please call me just right. first name. I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't. Like I understand that we're like, I right. guess looked at as coworkers, or we're right. supposed to be on a PhD level, but like that's just so foreign to me of like you like earn that title and like you're (laughs) you have all these publications to your name and like for me just be like hey what's up (laughs) I can't get past that yeah that's a some people struggle with that if they want you to if they sign the email with their first name that's what they want you to call it yeah I'll have to get used to it I guess yeah it's tough but yeah make sure correct names correct schools are in the email right attach a formatted updated CV yeah in PDF, not attached as a Word document or anything editable. I think that goes without saying. Right. Make sure it's not a book. Make sure it's yeah. more than one sentence. Yeah, I think I sent one uh, the emails I sent out were like, hey, it's my name. I'm interested in your research group because of this. Yeah. This is what I've worked on. If you have any people or any positions available in your uh, lab group, uh, please respond or something along those lines. Yeah. But make it incredibly direct because most of these professors are just getting email after email I try to respond to them all but sometimes it's so blatantly 
inappropriate, the email. Mm-hmm. Like, they asked me about PhD programs, and we just got one. Yeah. So why are you emailing me about a PhD program? We don't have one. Yeah. If they just email me about funding and not saying why they want to work in my lab, I'm less inclined to mm-hmm. reply to them or work with them. You do get a lot of good emails, and sometimes I think people overlook the students who go to the smaller, more regional schools, but they can be really excellent students and have the background you want or the drive and want to get the degree. Yeah. Well, even if it, I mean, just staying along those lines, if they did attend a smaller university, they probably had more opportunities to work on different projects, actually more hands-on experience with that advisor. Like, they might have more experience than the right. people at these larger universities who could get lost in the shuffle of things. Right. It's hard to come to the top at the big schools. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Cool. Anything else you want to add on applications or committee stuff or anything like that? So from the committee point of view, we deal with if there's any grievances at the department level, if... So, we deal with things like making sure that the exams are appropriate for the students, the comprehensive exams. We make sure that they get all their paperwork done. Sometimes the students will request something from us that are not within our guidelines, and so we have to look at those and make Mm -hmm. a decision on them. So, for example, the department here in geology requires that students defend their thesis a semester before they want to graduate. They, I mean, or defend their proposal a semester before they graduate. And the idea of proposal is what you propose to do, so you should be doing that early on. And so we get these requests from students wanting to defend their proposal and thesis within the same semester, and I don't really like that. Uh, It makes zero sense. It makes no sense. Yeah, that's been one of my pet peeves. I've noticed that with a lot of people here. Yeah. I don't understand the thought process, and I don't even understand why you'd want to do that to begin with, because it's an insane amount of work. Right. For really no reason. And you don't have enough time. No. To defend a proposal and then do all the work, so you're doing the work beforehand, obviously, so you should have been doing the proposal anyways. So we get emails about that, and... Well, it's just a prep thing, like, you do your proposal... Time management. Yeah, that, and you do your proposal, and if something's wildly wrong or one of your methods right. are completely wrong, like, I want to know about that far in advance right. before I have to go in front of That's a committee. That's the entire point. Yes. <laughs> is for your committee to give you feedback and the general audience to give you feedback on what you want to do to make sure it's feasible. Yeah. Make sure that you and your advisor didn't miss something that might not be so obvious to mm-hmm. you guys. Yeah, there's no way I would have have lost my mind trying to do that. Just walking pretty much blindly into this, separated by a couple of weeks, and be like, all right, here's pretty much all the stuff. And then sometimes students want to defend their proposal before they're even done writing, which isn't appropriate either. And they want to defend their defense or their thesis like two days before, after they announce it, and it's like that, mm mm-mm. Hmm. So we get requests like that. Yeah. That's... It's hard, though. We have 90-something graduate students. 
in geology and then in environmental resource science we have nine yeah i guess we can talk about the environmental science program because that just got started is there a phd going to start for that or that's way far down the line because i know they're doing a, a phd for geology starting no so it's no. Uh, earth and energy sciences right. so it's this so they have to take environmental geology um chem and physics okay so they have to take a class from each of the different programs and dr schubert's the grad director for that from, mm -hmm. from the geology and then there's two others and i'm not sure they're still working through it's that final this, yeah, well, it's not going to start accepting students until fall 19. Okay. So they have to do a lot of prep work. I think they're meeting weekly about it. I'm sure it's a lot of work. Uh -huh. Well, that's good. I'm glad they're getting a PhD here. Mm -hmm. Be nice. Take some TA positions away from the masters. I don't even. I think we might be getting a couple more TA. Oh, really? Us, but nice. not many. We got four for environmental resource science. Okay. So we got two the first year, and we've got, we're getting two in the fall. That helps. Perfect. Anything else? I don't think so. No? Can we talk about, like, weekly meetings and stuff? Like, you okay. want to talk? Not all faculty do weekly meetings. I like to do it. Mm -hmm. So some students need more direction than others. Some need the advisor to tell them to do this this week and then other students will just do it on their own so some of the faculty meet with their students weekly here some do lab meetings and my lab got small and it got really big again and so I was doing a lab meeting one week and then individual meeting and I always tell my students my doors open you can come in and talk to me but I like the weekly meetings because it makes sure that everybody's on the same page and it makes it such that the students feel obligated to do something during the week because yeah, they don't deadlines pretty much right, they don't like going to the meetings and saying i didn't accomplish anything yeah. week after week sometimes it happens sometimes things come up but i like the idea of a dedicated time to talk about your projects yeah well it's good also to see everybody because everybody <clears throat> and your graduate program is kind of running around mm -hmm. every single week like I'm not in the building every single day sometimes right. I work from home come up to school occasionally so like very seldomly do I see everyone and can actually talk yeah uh, except for those meetings yeah and the lab meetings help with morale too to make sure that you know that you're not alone to have some com camaraderie in the program and in the lab if you guys have an issue or if you need to go do field work, you can count on somebody else to go and help you. Mm -hmm. So that's why I like doing them. But I know some faculty meet on an as-needed basis. Yeah. But again, I like the devoted time. That they know I'm available to talk about their project and nobody else can come talk to me. I put it on my schedule on the door. So it's in my calendar too. Nice. I won't schedule anything during those times. Yeah, that's helpful. Especially with some advisors that have, I mean, you only have, well, you're going to have four after this. Yeah. But, I mean, it's a good amount. You can spread your time a little right. bit more reasonably than somebody that has 10 right. students to look after. That's a ton of work. Yeah. I, I think I devote a lot of time to my students, so I don't oh, think sure. I could devote as much or devote the same amount of time to 10 students and I'd be a worse advisor. 
So I generally like to have a smaller lab. Yeah, I mean, you definitely get more publish, uh, publications out of it, yeah. but like at what cost? <laughs> like you're yeah. kind of hurting relationships with people, I guess. I don't know. And also kind of the quality control of the work that's being published right. as well is another aspect of this. Mm-hmm. Like that's why, I mean, you were editing my stuff pretty much every single night. And granted, it was pretty much written in a month and a half, so <laughs> had no choice. But, I mean, it all got done in a fairly reasonable amount of time because you have, you put the time in as right. well. Well, you were putting in the time too. And you have to remember that you got your master's in three semesters. Yeah, but some of the other people in your group, they're probably on the same thing. I think, no? Courtney's not the same way? No. Hmm, okay. Taylor, no. They're not going to finish in three semesters. You don't think? Mm-mm. They have a lot of work to do this summer. Yeah. Yeah, their proposals. I was like, have fun. It's a long summer. <laughs> and so, it's, it's weird because I was sitting in there proposal and it was that was pretty much me last year of like all right here's the work I'm going to do and it really is crazy how much work was done over basically the course of a year yeah surprising it's always I always like the proposals because it's very rare that you just get to talk science with somebody yeah or with a group of faculty and the student so I always like it yeah it's a lot of work and I don't know cool what were we talking about don't even remember <laughs> lab groups okay yeah. the size yeah I like to keep it small yeah and even when I was emailing uh, like PhD advisors mm-hmm. like one of the first things that was brought up is like oh I like small lab groups well, like that was a running theme with everybody mm-hmm. is I mean for your own the advisors own sanity yeah. and like it's in their best interest I guess to keep it small as well yeah. I mean I can't imagine having eight or ten students look after. Um, no. You can't just... I don't can't. even know how much work I would be able to get done as an advisor if I had that many people. You usually have a postdoc or something to help or a tech that helps... Yeah, you'd have stuff. to. Yeah. It's crazy. But yeah, small yeah. lab groups. And weekly meeting. That's one of the things I loved about your group. And you're an excellent advisor, of I course. I don't know about that. I think so. I mean, my sample size is one. Yeah, really? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me after, yeah. in two more years. <laughs> no, that was kind of, yeah. I mean, I had a, a great experience um, with how you ran things and everything was uh, very organized and neat and tidy and everything mm-hmm. got done in a, a certain amount of time and you expected deadlines and uh, held everybody accountable. Like, yeah. The directness of it all was nice. Well... I'm not here to be your guys' friends, you know, and some faculty like to shoot the shit with their students with, yeah, there's some rapport that we have to develop, but my job here is to get you working on a project and get you done. My job isn't here to be your friend and talk about life with you all the time. Personal issues. They go down to the grad room. No, I don't want to. (laughs) I I tell people to not tell me what they hear down there because it flies. (laughs) I don't go down there. Jenny gets mad at me. She's like, go converse with them. It's like, well, if I did that, then I would not be graduating because no. it's just all talking. Yeah. I have, I have work to do. Yeah, so my PhD, I had a desk that was facing the door, and so when people would walk by, they would say hi. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get done, so I bought noise-canceling headphones, and so it was a clear sign, like, I am talking, or I am doing work. I am not here to talk. So I got done. Yeah. <laughs> way to go there is something to having a group of 
friends that you can rely on because you never know when you'll see people again or need them for something so yeah it's good to have a group of students that you can talk to but sometimes there's a negative energy that these grad lounges can have oh it's not even the grad lounge it's like every online graduate community like it's incredibly negative and I mean I guess in some instances, yes, I can kind of see where they're coming from. Where and so some parts of this would be stressful, but like as a whole, like my whole graduate experience so far has been like fairly easy. And I don't know mm-hmm. if it's just because like I'm diligent and do my things yes. on time, or if that's just I don't know. Because most of what I see online is super negative and stressful, and I, my advisor relationship, like all this stuff, and I was like, I've not seen any of this at all ever. There are toxic relationships between students and advisors that can come up, and those can be very hard to deal with. Yes. I had a relationship like that, and it was really terrible to deal with. So there is some of that. And sometimes the advisor is really hard to get a hold of, and so part of it is the student has to be self-sufficient. And they have to know the deadlines, know the requirements, the faculty should be there to help you with this type of stuff, but sometimes you can't rely on them. Yeah. So part of it was you being self-sufficient. Part of it was me knowing the deadlines and making sure you had them. Mm-hmm. And we had the two grad directors that also are required to meet with you guys semester, each semester, mm-hmm. and they make sure that you're getting done as well. Yeah. There are toxic relationships, though. And oh, it yeah, can no be doubt. really hard to deal with. But those boards are really hard for me to read because it's a lot of complaining and I think a lot of it's unfounded. And if they had been a little bit more self-sufficient, the issues wouldn't have arisen like they did. Yeah. I I was like, I just came here to like get some cool resources for teaching and stuff. But now it's like, it's all negative. Do you look at the NAGT stuff? National Association of Geoscientists no. teacher at Carleton College. I'll send you a link. Yeah. Maybe. Never, never seen it. They have a lot of good stuff from okay. there. I'll write a note right now. That'd be good. All right, there are. I guess we can start to transition away from committee stuff. Let me talk about advisors a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes you'll want to switch your advisor, and it's not the end of the world. Sometimes your project won't work out. My PhD project, I wanted to study the hydrodynamics at stream confluences and so how the water mixed. And then the Kansas River had a massive drought, and we couldn't get on the river. Hmm. And so I had to completely change courses after I defended my proposal and everything. So it's super stressful when that happens, but you need to be flexible and make sure you can divert and I think that's what I want. And it's not the end of the world if your master's is in one field and you want to transition into another one. It has to be logical. Sometimes the programs will make you fulfill deficiencies. So when I went to Nevada for hydrology, I had to take a couple of deficiencies. It wasn't a lot. It was like two or three classes. And that was to make sure that if I wanted to take the professional hydrologist exam, I could. Mm-hmm. So it's not a big deal if you change fields a bit, but it has to be a logical progression. None of my degrees are in the same department name. Oh, 
Interesting. Yeah, my undergrad is in natural resources, my master's hydrology, PhD, geography, and then I did postdoc in biology, and then a postdoc in the School of Environment and Natural Resources. <laughs> it's all on Earth, so that's yeah. It's all related. <laughs> it all takes place roughly the same mm -hmm. location. I think that's what I wanted to say, just people to know that if you want to, if you have a change of heart, it's not a big deal. I've known some people who get PhDs in fluvial geomorphology stuff, and mm -hmm. one of them is a physical therapist now. Oh, wow. Yeah. Some people just have a change of heart, and yeah. you just have to know yourself and know what you want. Yeah, I would imagine for some people going through a whole PhD, but like, I'm tired of this, yeah. this work and the amount of uh, research that goes into producing publications. Right, like or they like, don't like what... So if you want to be a physical therapist, you want to help people. And fluvial geomorphology, you can rarely help people, right? Directly, at least. Yeah. I mean, you can yeah. help with like flooding yeah, and stuff, sure. but you know, kind of help people get better. Yeah. So. And then sometimes people can't find a job, and so they're forced to transition. Mm -hmm. Seems to be the case nowadays. Yeah. In academia, at least. Yeah, it's uh super competitive, so you need to make sure that you take full advantage of all the opportunities you get. Yeah, there's, uh, at Cajun Brewers, there's a guy that frequents there, along with me. And uh, he just got his PhD in English and, like, creative writing, whatever, and he found a job, like, within a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, nice. Like, yeah. that's incredible. I mean, like, just to find a job that quickly yeah. at a university, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, it's what you do with your time. If you go to conferences... And can network with the postdoc advisor or apply to these procedures postdocs and get it, then you're pretty much set. Yeah. Hmm. But it's all what you do during your master's and PhD. You have to publish, you have to go to conferences, you have to apply for grants. Yeah. You have to treat your time. If you want to be a professor or even work for the USGS, you have to act like you're in that job and act like you're in the job at the university you want to be at. Make your CV look like it fits there. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much how I looked at my whole master's. Like, this is literally my job. This is the only thing I have going on. Right. And it's pretty much the classes I teach is what I try to tell the students because my dad t told me that, like, whenever I was an undergrad. Like, mm -hmm. this is literally all you have right. to do. Like, you have nothing else to do with your time but study, yeah. read, just get your work done, and that's it. Yeah, treat it like a job. Go to, I would go to work at 8, leave at 4. Yeah. You just have to treat it like a job. That's what one of the students I stayed with on one of my visits. He was like, yeah, I just go on every day at 8 and then leave yeah. at like 3 and be, that's my day. Right. Like, I can do most of my work from home, but like getting up, like, going. getting dressed, going to school, yeah. and then coming back, like you get in this routine mm -hmm. of this is a job, I need to get this work done. Yeah. And you need to make sure, so for PhDs, and some programs evaluate students each year. I just remember this. I remember at K-State, the faculty would meet and talk about whether or not we were making sufficient progress, because our funding was dependent on if we had made sufficient progress. Do we get evaluated here? No. Oh, man. That would have been nice. <laughs> You got evaluated. <laughs> I gave out papers because they don't do 
any surveys for the classes that we teach. No. And so I made my own surveys and handed them out to students. Nice. And I was like, don't write your name on these, but sign the sheet up front with your name, and then I'll know that you turned in the quiz or whatever. But like that was the only feedback I was really getting from yeah, from teaching, um, because they do fill out a survey, but it's the the online survey through the university, mm-hmm. and then the actual uh, teacher for, on the record. Yeah, it depends on... Themselves. They're not they're not really evaluating me. They're just evaluating the class as a whole, the lecture in the lab. Yeah, so at K-State, they would put our names on the labs, and so I would get my evaluations, but they don't do it here like that. Yeah. I wish. Yeah. Treat it like a job. Yeah. That's all I have to say about that. Yeah, that's good. Um, I saved, because originally my plan for recording with you was to do it at AGU in December. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I haven't done much this semester because of uh, writing and stuff. But nah, I found... you didn't do much. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> I was like, when the new year started, I was like, all right, I need to record a bunch of podcasts and stuff like that. And I had, this is the first one since December or whatever. It's been a while. But okay. in November, prior to this, when I was like getting ready, I found a couple of tweets so I wanted to discuss them. I'll read them to you. Okay. The are they mine? What's that? No, oh, no. Okay. The, these are not yours. Okay. No, these are just uh, some uh, people. I don't know where they're from. But I tried to search for their stuff because they were actually long threads okay. of tweets. Uh, but I couldn't find them, so I guess they got deleted or something like that. But the first one says, learning how to apply for grad school slash fellowships slash faculty positions slash grants is a skill that academia doesn't bother to teach anyone. Read it again. Learning how to apply for grad school, fellowships, faculty positions, and grants is a skill that academia doesn't bother to teach anyone. I don't think that's true for all programs. Yeah, I don't think uh, you can make a blanket statement no. across all. In my opinion, that's just to get the ball rolling, is I think that should be more on the advisor that you choose rather than the department as a whole. Right. Some departments have classes that you can take on grant writing but there's also some re- for in or sciences there's the cutting edge finding a faculty job it's a workshop and I think we have to take even a bigger step back is that most of the folks that go into grad school are not going to become faculty and so I'm not sure why it would be the responsibility of the department to teach people how to become a faculty mentor when we know, or a faculty member when we know that the students are in all likelihood not going to become one. A lot of them go work for industry or work for government, private sector, whatever. Yeah. Now, if the department wants to, like, allocate a certain amount of funding for their students to attend Mm -hmm. workshops... I'd be all for that. But they do. Like, so K-State K- did it. They paid our uh, registration to go to the geography version of mm-hmm. that training. So, yeah, I don't like those type of blanket statements. Yeah. And it depends on the programs, too. Some of them, so for PhD, sometimes you'll have qualifying exams or comprehensive exams. And sometimes for the comprehensive exams... They make you make you write a fifteen-page NSF proposal, mm-hmm. so that's you getting experience proposal writing. And the further along you get in your PhD program, hopefully your advisor gets you involved in that stuff. Depending on the university, and most universities don't let PhD students be named people on a grant. <clears throat> if you're a postdoc, you can be, and during your postdoc, you 
can and should be writing grants. Yeah. But I don't like those blanket statements. No. I'm part of the oppression that should be handled through the advisor. Like, that's yeah. why, that's one of, like, the duties of having an advisor, I think, right. is you're going to this person because they have the direct expertise in the field that you want to continue on, whether right. it be private or uh, something like that in academia. Um, yeah. And I guess also with finding an advisor, you should see where the students end up. Like, if you want to go work in the private sector and you know this person is really good at doing that or yeah. work for river restoration or something, go find somebody who does that mm-hmm. and has students that do that. I keep getting these random thoughts to previous conversations. <laughs> you can circle back. That's normally what happens with this. And it's going to happen as soon as we stop recording. Like, yeah. Oh. Crap. Yeah. I forget what it's called after, what is the, is it a German word? Or somewhere, as soon as like an argument is done, you think of the retort oh, immediately yeah. after. I there's, hate that. There's a specific word for it and I forgot what it was. I think it's German. I don't know. Not that smart. Anyways. What's your next tweet? Next tweet. Uh, this, I will uh, point out that I heavily disagree with this, but. Okay. We'll do it. This was Shouldn't a, it, don't try to um, cloud my decision. <laughs> Agree with me. <laughs> Scientists should not be required to communicate their science. And there's uh-huh. a long thread about that, essentially that um, some scientists aren't uh, apt to communicate, so that should be like pushed to other people. Yeah, that's an interesting idea that so I guess their point is that there are people who are really good at communicating and so that should be their responsibility to do that I feel like if you get any funding from the government you have a moral ethical obligation to get that science out and publishing a paper in a journal that people cannot access is not science communication sorry (laughs) it's not yeah and it's written in language that they wouldn't be able to understand anyways. Right. Exactly. It's not. Yeah. It's an interesting idea. So some programs actually have these like outreach people who are really good at that. Mm-hmm. But I do feel like the faculty should be there and helping Absolutely. at least. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't like that statement. And especially nowadays, like... You're fighting for funding one, so you're like the specialist in that field. Right. You need to go out and convey either to government agencies or whomever, whoever is giving you this money, to make it known why it's important. And if the experts are not going around saying this is why it's important, this is why it needs to be funded. That's how we evaluate grants. So it's the intellectual contribution and broader impacts. If Mm -hmm. the broader impacts are weak... I am not likely to recommend that for funding. Mm-hmm. I just did that. I didn't recommend something for funding because the broader impacts were really weak. They were going to add or teach a class on a topic. So that's, what, 15 students at their university, and they're yeah. getting, they wanted hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah. for that? That's not a, a outreach to me. It used to be that the broader impacts... My understanding didn't matter as much, but they're getting way more important now. Yeah, I think as money becomes tighter and tighter, like 
they want to make sure that you're basically getting more bang for your buck. Yeah. And they want the public to know that it matters. Yeah. People get a $500,000 grant. It can't go in this vacuum where it doesn't get out to the people mm-hmm. whose tax dollars go to fund that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, science need to get out and yeah. communicate their stuff. And that's one of the issues I've had is, like, even at Stony Brook University, they have, like, a whole, like, separate thing where it's a basically a communicating science class, mm-hmm. and it's the Allen Alda Center for Communicating Science, and basically it's ran scientists go and take improv classes to help mm-hmm. better communicate their, their science more clearly. I know some faculty who did that without even, like, the training for it. They went to improv classes. Yeah. Before it was like a thing to do. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. <laughs> there is training for faculty as well. I got a C grant fellowship and they taught us how to communicate our science. And it's really hard when people tell you that they don't understand what you're saying because you're like, why don't you understand? But you have to bring it down to a language that people understand. You can't use your jargon. Mm-hmm. And you have to be open to people critiquing you. And sometimes faculty have these massive egos and they don't want to hear it. Yeah, I mean, in their heads, they know everything. Yeah. Or at least on that specific topic. Yeah, they know why it matters. Why do they have to tell you it matters? Yeah. Don't you trust them? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So anyways, yeah, that's kind of one of my major pet peeves is I wish more uh, scientists would take it upon themselves to go out to the public. And that's like even, what was that, two or three weeks ago doing the competitions here at UL like the three-minute thesis competition, oh, yeah. the mm-hmm. uh, the poster competition, whatever, but the um, the Say It in Six, and basically yeah. like kind of the overarching theme to this, or at least what I got out of it, is I needed to, at least specifically for the three-minute thesis, is put all of my research in this paragraph that took three minutes to say, and it all had to be plain language, had to be readily accessible by whoever was in the room, and then it was judged off of that. So those were like incredibly helpful exercises yeah. for me. Sometimes they're called elevator pitches. Yeah. Yeah. You have to make sure that you say it in language that people understand. So if your mother or grandmother or grandfather can't understand what you're saying, the public's not going to understand what they're saying. Yeah. That's the only reason I go home. (laughs) Tell them what I'm working on. It's good practice. I've made it into an exercise. That's how (laughs) I get through every trip. I hate talking about it. I hate to my family. After, yeah. Yeah, I'll get like a, I think I got like a text from my mom a couple months ago, like when I first found out I got into UCLA. Mm-hmm. She's like, what do you do? <laughs> this is perfect. This is great. I love this. Oh, man. Like, what do you do? How about that? That's pretty funny. Yeah, I, I just saw it and I just laughed. All right, you want to transition? You have another how... tweet or not? No, that's the only tweets I have. Okay. I tried to find the threads last night, but I couldn't find the whole thing. I imagine they made a much better case than the original, uh, the first tweet of those threads, but... Well, now they can say in like 280 word characters. Yeah, you just do a whole that. thing. You can just write a whole paper on it. One tweet. All right, so we can transition into... Uh, your work specifically that you're working on now, kind of future plans that you'd like to see, or Mm -hmm. future projects even that you'd like group members coming into your lab to work on, that kind of stuff. Okay. Where you got your education 
Give me your credentials. Okay. I guess we should have started with that. That's all good. Uh, so my undergrad was at the University of Connecticut. I'm from Rhode Island. I guess I'll back up even a bit. So sometimes faculty and going into these faculty positions, you don't feel like you fit, and it's because you don't have the background that other people have. So even here, a lot of the our faculty, their parents are MDs, PhD MDs, and so I don't have that background. My mom got her bachelor's degree the semester before I did. My dad drove a forklift. He barely graduated high school. And so I didn't have the family support going to school, but they, or at least graduate school, they wanted me to get an undergrad. So I went to the University of Connecticut, and I actually started in nursing, and I realized I didn't have the personality for that. And so I switched majors a couple of times, and I ended up in the natural resources program, and I got a dual degree in geography. And then for my master's, I was either looking at hydrology or fisheries stuff, actually, and I found the hydrology program at Nevada, and so I went there, and I worked with the USDA folks on rainfall simulations, and I missed rivers, so I went back to rivers at K-State and then I did a biology postdoc there and right after. And then I did a postdoc at Ohio State. And then I started here in 2015. So it's been 10 years since I graduated undergrad. Hmm. It was quick, though. I mean... Yeah. <laughs> I went fast. Yeah. I was determined. And there were other things. So my PhD advisor left academia. And I wanted to get done... So for my research, I, I'm i not really sure how I identify myself because I'm a hydrologist, but sometimes they don't recognize me as a hydrologist and sometimes the geomorph people don't think I'm geomorph enough. So I'm somewhere in between all this and I also like ecology. Yeah, I was about to say you also have some fish thrown on Yeah. <laughs> so I'm this uh, kind of, I don't know, I like rivers. Yeah. You know, I think about rivers a lot. And I knew I wanted to go back to rivers because I thought about them all the time. And if it's something you think about all the time and it's something you really enjoy, then you should continue on that path. And I was pretty fortunate to find it early. <clears throat> so when I started, I guess even with my master's, I was doing kind of these intermittent systems, these systems that only periodically flow with the rainfall simulations. And then at K-State, there was a long-term ecological research station there, and the streams there were intermittent, and my postdoc was on intermittent streams. So here I am doing intermittent streams again. I'm not sure why I'm so drawn to them, but I don't know. So it's mostly intermittent streams, and sometimes people are like, oh, you live in the humid subtropics. There's no intermittent streams. I'm like, that's not true at all. They are the most common. Yeah, they're everywhere. Yeah, they're the most common stream that there are. Uh, I have a couple of proposals under review looking at intermittent streams. One's, uh, I don't know if I really want to get into the details. <laughs> you can go in as many details as you want. Yeah, they're not funded yet, so. Oh. Yeah. That's true. Okay. Yeah. But still focusing on intermittent rivers. Yeah, one's uh, kind of a to get folks together to talk about the field to move it forward because. Yeah. I feel like we're kind of stalled, and in the literature you'll see temporary streams, intermittent streams, ephemeral streams, sometimes they'll call them rivers, sometimes they'll call them washes, and 
I feel like we're kind of stalled and people are doing the same thing but not talking about it in the same language. So I was trying to get us nice. moving past there. And then the other one was about stream, intermittent streams in the Sun Belt and understanding the hydrology and the genetics of the mm -hmm. organisms in there. And I have a couple of sites in Kisatchee National Forest in Louisiana that I've had sensors in for the past three years. And I haven't ever been able to get a student interested on that project besides Yeah, because, I mean, there's a ton of data there. It's just a continuing thing of just replacing these sensors. So, yeah. like, there's a ton of data here for anybody just to go pull right. and do something with. Yeah, I haven't been... It's interesting here because of how the students apply to the program so it's not the traditional way where you identify an advisor to work with they usually come yeah. in afterwards and have an idea that they want to work on and kind of shoehorn their Guilty. advisors in <laughs> no we, we talked about yours there were other ones and it's like i don't know if i can help you yeah i don't know anybody here can help you yeah well, a lot of people here, are it's moving away from that, which is nice, yeah. but they've definitely hired some more faculty here that can assist you, I guess, or kind of like along the same yeah. plane, mm -hmm. at least research-wise. Um, but yeah, I don't know why. It would be nice if somebody were to do something with. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. I think sometimes students like don't, don't like doing field work, which boggles my mind because... That's one of my favorite parts of my job. Mm -hmm. And I think the best part of being about a professor is that you get to do field work during the summer and then you get to come in yeah. when it's cold out. <laughs> it's a good balance, I yeah. think. So. I enjoyed field work. I think I was the only one in the group who had a field work component, right? Yeah. yeah. Leslie did yeah. for a while. But That's true. Marie went out a couple of times, but nobody went out and measured. Every yeah, I don't know why. That was always super fun to me, and I felt like it made the research that much more stronger because it was me getting those yeah, exactly. measurements directly rather you than relying on... Yeah, a connection to it. Yeah. So. And you actually get to see the environment. You're mm -hmm. not just relying on... Published papers. Yeah, just, yeah, published papers or any satellite imagery, that kind of stuff. Yeah. That definitely helps, especially with these smaller rivers. You can't see them most of the time. Like yeah. They're just covered by trees. Yeah. Uh, so good luck. You need to go out there. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I'm, I'm trying to find a reason why I'm so drawn to rivers. I don't know. Some people just have these things that they're drawn to. I've always liked being outside. So I, I thought I was going to be a nurse for a long time. But mm -hmm. like I said, I didn't have the personality for it. But I don't know. I just think about rivers all the time. Yeah, when I was in high school, I was like trying to figure out what I was going to do. And I ended up getting in contact with a pediatrician. I was like, can I just kind of shadow you for a bit? I did. I was like, eh, no thanks. It was like two months. Can't do this. This is a... Are <laughs> you just seeing sick kids going in and out? Like, yeah. This is... I mean, yeah. I, I don't like life, but this is a bit much. This is too depressing. Yeah, I would have a hard time. So my mom's a nurse, and she can separate what she sees at work from her personal life, and mm -hmm. I don't know that I could do that. Yeah, that's rough. Yeah. I'm just like, come home all happy. Yeah. How's everybody doing? Rivers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Our rivers are a little, a little bit nicer. Uh, so you just want to stick with intermittent research kind of moving forward or just rivers in general? I've lately, I've been thinking about these storm 
drains that we have in Lafayette, especially with Courtney and Taylor's. The Kool Aids. Yeah. Because yeah. they're intermittent, you know. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. urban hydrology is uh, kind of like this active area of research that's increasing lately, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the thing like I kind of got interested, like, as my project kind of went on, is. Uh, like I would just think of like better ways to map intermittent rivers or better ways to monitor them Mm -hmm. so like I kind of like started gravitating more towards like thinking about that kind of stuff I thought it would be super interesting to explore different ways to to better track these because they're pretty much not tracked at all unless if you go out there yourself and put out your own stuff but I wasn't necessarily thinking of like oh like a nationwide (laughs) monitoring system but just better ways to get better discrete data in these rivers they there's some folks who have an app now where you can go to a river and take a picture. Yeah. So that's kind of a neat yeah. thing that they're doing now. So, yeah, I'm, I imagine I'll keep on that track. I can't imagine going anywhere else or doing yeah. anything else. I also really like ecology. So I, I always enjoy when I get to go to the ecology conferences and my collaborators on proposals are almost always ecologists. It kind of goes hand in hand. Yeah. It's nice to see that connection. And when, I think whenever you incorporate ecology, people can see yeah. like a direct impact on their lives. Right. As well. Um, yeah. It's all super interesting. You don't like ecology. Nah, I enjoy reading it. I would never do the research okay, myself. Okay, I gotcha. But reading the papers, that's fine. Okay. And by reading the papers, I mean the abstract. <laughs> <laughs> I do find it interesting, and it's nice when you start thinking of, like, how disconnected these intermittent rivers can be from each other, and how, like, the different populations are in each one of them. Mm -hmm. It's it's fascinating. Yeah, and they're all so different from each other. You know, some only flow after it rains, some when the groundwater Mm -hmm. comes up, and how they start flowing is different, how they stop flowing can vary a lot, so... Yeah, that's one of the things that uh, I wish I had done for my project is put out like a, a camera or something mm. like that on a timer just yeah. to see. I think I had suggested that. Yeah. <laughs> it's too late and that's what I'm going with. Yeah, that's okay. The wildlife cameras are pretty cheap now. Yeah. There, were, I've seen cool images where it'll pick up the water coming and it'll take pictures. Oh, nice. Yeah. Maybe we'll get somebody in the group who wants to continue on that project. I hope so. I haven't... I think, I mean, it's seven hours away, and it's a really nice area. Mm-hmm. And there's previous data on it now. Yeah. I don't know if I have any students starting in the fall. Yeah. So. I selfishly want it to continue. It'd be nice. Just because it's such weird results initially, and it would be nice to see somebody follow up to see if those mean anything, yeah. or if it was an abnormal year. Or oh, it was like totally that. an abnormal yeah. year. Yeah. Well, with the hurricane, yes. Yeah. Or in terms of the rivers flowing. Right. Uh, anyways. That's wow. what I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have the research experience for undergrads grant right now, and we're getting the first students this summer. So that brings 10 students to UL to work on a project related to oh. rivers in the coast. When does that take it? June 4th oh, is wow. the first day to uh, July 27th and they have to work on a project they have to make a poster and go to seminars and stuff 
and we're going to track them to see where they go afterwards if it helps them to find a career in science or not interesting mm-hmm. that'd be good it's all helpful experience I'm sure oh for sure it's invaluable when deciding for grad school if you can cross something off your list about oh, yeah. oh I hate that it's really good to know beforehand rather than getting to your masters yeah so for my career I will fully admit that I never wanted to be a professor when going into it never ever thought I would be a professor never thought I'd get a PhD and I had a change of heart after my masters and it was also the time it was 2010 when I finished my masters and so the economy was still pretty sank mm-hmm. sunk and, and there were no jobs I was applying for jobs left and right and I hid in grad school for a while and even then I thought I'd work for the USGS but those jobs are really competitive and you almost always have to have an in mm-hmm. which is unfortunate oftentimes the USGS will hire people to work from, for their master's PhD with them and then hire them afterwards and I knew I didn't want to work in the private sector and I knew I wanted to work on what I wanted to work on and so that's why I decided to be a professor I wanted intellectual freedom mm-hmm. because if you work for an agency or for a private sector you have to work on a specific project and do it and here I get a lot of freedom with what I get to do so I really value that sometimes I think it would be nice working for an agency because you get to leave it and go home and take vacations and stuff yeah. and you know, I'm, I always check my email, and sometimes I try not to... I am much better than I used to be, where I used to work on the weekends. I used to come in every Saturday and work all day, and then I, it wasn't worth it. No. You know, I wasn't getting anything more done than if I was just working my normal hours and being efficient with yeah. my time. And, you know, I got married and stuff, and so I decided it wasn't worth my time. And I think it's... Uh, fallacy that people think that in order to be a professor you have to work 60 to 80 hours a week you know some weeks you do if you have a proposal due or something but you're going to put a lot of time in that week Mm. but every week no I think that's a misconception but maybe it's just that I don't want to work at that university if that's the case you know I I like the type of job I have here where I teach two courses so that's 40 percent of my time 50% 50% of my time is research, and then 10 is service. So I think that's a good balance yeah. for me. I don't have the pressure that they have at the big universities to get as many grants. I do have pressure to get grants, of course, but I'm not hounding. It's not all research, yeah. yeah. I don't think I can do that. No. So, some people excel at that, and that's why they're there. That's why I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> for a long time, I thought I wanted to be at that type of school too mm-hmm. and then I decided it wasn't worth it it's a ton of work for yeah I mean some people really love yeah. the professional satisfaction that they get from that but I'd rather be like a good friend and a good wife than yeah. a Have good a healthy researcher re- healthy relationships yeah. rather than just devoting all your time to yeah. to essentially work but everybody has 
what they like to do. So yeah, that's kind of how I was going. And I was like, oh, like all research would be a blast, and yeah. then I really enjoy teaching. Yeah. So there's some sixty forty balance or fifty fifty something like that. That would yeah. be perfect. Somewhere. Yeah, the all research positions where you're soft funded, so mm-hmm. meaning that you have to get all of your salary, are really tough. Mm-hmm. I would never want that job. Never, ever, ever want that job. I have a hard time getting my two months of salary in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I imagine. I couldn't imagine getting six, ten months of salary. No thanks. You spend more time writing the grants than you do working on them at that point. Yeah, I've written quite a bit of grants, and I don't know if I would be able to, like... Come up with new ideas. Yeah, new ones, constantly doing them every single one. It's rough. Yeah. Anything else you'd like to add? I don't think so. No? I don't want to keep it too long. No, I think people need to go into grad school with an open mind and take advantage of the opportunities. Don't get sidetracked on too many side projects, Mm -hmm. but make sure you're making progress to your degree and have stuff on the side that you're working on to get more papers and stuff. But Mm -hmm. And that's what happened to me when my project didn't work out. I just took the side projects and went with those. So it's good to have them, but... You have to be really defensive of your time, and it's okay to say no. Mm-hmm. especially okay for females to say no. Sometimes females don't feel like they can say no, especially the junior faculty, but you have to be defensive yeah. of your time. Yeah, definitely. You have to take care of yourself, go exercise, go running, whatever you do. If you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to do well at your job. We'll conclude... There's a segment I like to do. Okay. Instead of, like, I don't even know what magazine it is. They'll do like the celebrities are just like us. But this is, I guess, earth scientists are just like us. Uh-huh. So we'll discuss uh, a hobby or some interest that you have outside of all of the research and work and reading, all that kind of stuff that you do on an everyday basis. So what do you go home and like to enjoy? The first thing I do in the morning and when I get home from work is go look at my garden. Do you have a favorite vegetable or fruit or anything that you grow? Do you have a favorite? I don't know if I have a favorite. I enjoy eating it all. (laughs) (laughs) It's a nice garden. I've seen the garden. Mm -hmm. It's gotten a lot better since, like, last year? I don't know when we saw it. We've been in the house a year. Yeah, I think it was last year. Um, Looks very nice, and it's a pretty massive plot, plot of land, I guess, compared to me in an apartment. Well, it's two-thirds of an acre, so it's not that big, but I mean, for somebody in a 600-square-foot yes. apartment. <laughs> it's, it's massive. Yeah, we have, like, little uh, succulents in mm-hmm. the house, so, yes, your land is massive. Yeah. But it's nice. It's very well done, and you have uh, chickens and ducks now, so mm-hmm. that's also nice. Yeah. It's a, it's a good hobby. It gets me outside, and it's always different each day, so that's why I like yeah. going... Any problems with it so far? I have some blossom and rot, so i got to get some calcium for my zucchinis. But hmm. And I am waiting for the infestation of pests. We've been lucky so far where it was pretty chilly earlier in the spring, and now it's getting warmer, uh-huh. and so like the squash beetles are going to come soon. Are the, do the chickens or ducks do anything to help with that, or is that just kind of... They would if I let them out, but... And they'd be out, out. They would be out eating the produce. 
So you just kind of have to pick your battle. Mm -hmm. So you can let them out like the hour before dusk and so they're out for an hour like looking at stuff and then go back and roost in their coop. Okay. But they're too, the chicks are too small for that, especially since one got snatched recently. (laughs) Nature. Survival of the fittest. What's your, what do you do? Uh, mainly just watch baseball. Oh, yeah. I knew that. Yeah. Yeah. I have other stuff, but pretty much that. I like to podcast, I guess. Do you? (laughs) (laughs) I do this. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Pretty much baseball. For eight months out of the year. Yeah. Gardening is it? That's it? Uh, Joel and I go for walks each night. Oh, nice. We play badminton a couple times a week. Is the net still up? Oh, yeah. I don't think it's coming down. No, he was pretty upset that I did that. <laughs> I don't think he was upset. I he think... tied it to a tree, and I was like, this whole kit came with poles, so let's just do this. It was a gift from somebody. We didn't order it. It's a nice little thing. It's not so little, though. It's pretty big. No, it's pretty heavy duty, and yeah. there's a lot of wires and stuff like that. It's pretty intense. <laughs> I was not expecting that. When I was in Nevada, I was on the badminton club team. It was awesome. I love badminton. Did y'all play with the actual, like, feathered uh, birdies? or what? Yeah, we had those, and some people would come in with, like, a little suitcase with all their stuff in it. It was intense. And I would just have my, like, plastic It's, like, very stuff. wealthy. Yeah. Yeah. It's a rich people sport. I don't know about that. It's like the feathers. Yeah, it's like a very leisurely, like... Uh, To be stereotypical, it's Asians, right? They love it. um, I imagine people just, like, wearing suits and, like, the the feathered... Not the feathered, the, uh, like, the frilly uh, umbrellas. Oh, yeah. I don't know what they're called. Stuff like that. Like, very Victorian. Yeah. But you live in a Victorian house. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. See? It all fits. The neon-colored badminton set. <laughs> Looks really nice with our 1905. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, good. Well, it was nice talking to you. Thank you. I'm glad we did it the very last second before. You take off? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I should have probably talked to more people in the apartment, but eh, what are you going to do? You can catch some of them. Time, time flies. Anyways, thank you. Thank You're you for welcome. being a great advisor. It's uh, the my favorite part of my job. So. Yeah. Well, it was great. I had a great experience. Yeah.